Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Sam Coppin, Director of Investment Advisory at Tilney's London office, and I'm talking with Ben Seeger-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds, about the impact the US-China trade tariff dispute, the so-called trade war, has had on financial markets. Before we begin, here is some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or a recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry section in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So Ben, it's been another eventful month for markets. Uh, We've seen a broad sell-off in equities, government bond yields falling back to near all-time lows. Um, And I guess when assessing this, it's difficult to avoid talking about some of the uh, geopolitical events, which we'll cover later on. But um, in your view, is this sell-off driven purely by these events or are there other fundamental factors at play that we should be worrying about? Um, And how do you assess the current sentiment? Uh, I think a lot of it is being driven by what you might consider geopolitical events. It is worth highlighting, though, some of the geopolitical events, particularly around, around the US and China, do manifest into economic realism. So this isn't just rhetoric and threats and shifts in terms of the politics. They have implemented, the US that is, have implemented fresh trade tariffs and there are other threats of retaliation. So they are manifesting out in the, the real the real economy, which is why they are having an effect. A lot of it is through the sentiment channel, though, and fundamentals are relatively unperturbed. There are some changes to the outlook, and I think that is reflected uh, in a little bit of, uh, of the surveys we're looking at. For example, we've talked before the purchasing manager indices. These are gauges of business activity. We see in the US, those numbers took a little bit of a hit post, uh, post the tariff announcement. A lot of that on new orders, though, so the outlook um, coming through a little bit more challenged than before. I think it's important, though, to highlight this at the moment seems largely to be noise. We've had a good run in the market so far, and it's important to put that in context. The The negative month we've had this far, thus far in, in May, a lot of that is mid, uh, mid single-digit losses in places like emerging markets, but that's really just undone some of the, the benefit so far this year. In developed markets, it's low single-digit losses and still very strong on uh, on the year to date. The areas as well, you talked about government bonds, 10-year gov- government bond yields now below 1% is is at a pretty tight level and that does have, have knock-on effects. But the in the grand scheme, multi-month through to multi-year, the investment timeframes we look at, this really does just seem like noise. Yeah, and it's, it's important to, to, to state, I suppose, that... Um, you know, markets year to date are still in generally in positive territory. Yes, uh, absolutely. I think that where there has been some movement has been in the currency, the currency tends to be the pressure release valve. And there we did see, for example, sterling fall around 4% versus the US dollar. That obviously benefits sterling investors holding overseas assets. But that's where a lot of the a lot of the tension, particularly as it relates to the UK has been coming out. You touched on it there, and, and clearly the big news of the last month is the, the re-escalation in the US-China tariff war initiated, as seems to be the way now, by um, a tweet from President Trump um, back on the 5th of May, signaling 
that there'll be an increase in tariffs on some $200 billion of goods imported from China. Um, how do you view the latest developments there? Certainly, the re-escalation and re-ignition of the tariff war took markets broadly by surprise. I think most assumed there would be some sort of deal culminating uh, in June and this meeting between uh, President Xi and President Trump. That now seems not to, the, the meeting will probably still go ahead. It seems unlikely that there'll be a resolution. It is difficult to tell at this stage whether this is just a last minute trade tactic, which is entirely possible in terms of negotiating, or whether it is a slightly more entrenched and protracted uh, trade war that we're looking at. I think it'd be quite easy to argue at the moment that the US president does have some sort of need for distraction from his domestic political agenda. And as often is, is the case, sometimes these foreign policy or trade issues are designed politically to distract from what's happening domestically. So it's very unclear at the moment. Certainly, there's a significant intensification of the rhetoric, interestingly, on both sides, as well as the US. China is hardening its stance. There have been references to, to the Long March. Uh, many of, of our listeners will be aware, but the Long March refers to the Chinese Communist Party in the 30s, a strategic retreat, followed by later going on to retake the, the whole of uh, China and establish the Communist Party as it is today. So that's pretty potent language from, from China there as well. The technology sector um, in particular has been a big loser so far from this dispute. NASDAQ um, off some 7% in the, in the month of May. Um, why is this sector so impacted? So it looks like the next phase of this trade war might focus very much on technology. It relates not just to the bilateral trade, which is what Donald Trump has initially been uh, agitating over, but much more around technology. We've talked before, forced technology transfer, the strategic rivalry between the US and China is an important element of the trade war. And as we see it potentially now broadening out, that's why technology is in the crosshairs. You look at the likes of Huawei that's now on the entity list. We saw their CFO arrested in Canada, and extradition being sought there as well. These threats over 5G, a lot of that is uh, talking to this strategic rivalry between the two major economies, and that's really the next phase. And there's all sorts of different elements that are hitting the tech sector. Part of it is Huawei being back blacklisted. You can no longer trade with Huawei and because you have these quite large and complex supply supply lines, it is difficult um, to, to really know who will be hit. But if you can't sell parts to a major manuf electronics manufacturer, then that's going to have an impact on US companies. Also, if we see an expansion of the tariffs to hit some consumer electronics, that would likely hit the tech sector as well. And on top of that, one of the potential tools that's been talked about of China retaliating is using rare earth metals, so limiting the, the export of those materials. And rare earth metals are vital to electronics. It is worth highlighting, I don't think it's likely that China would block those exports for a protracted period because strategically it's important, but it is a weapon they have, have, and it's something that obviously markets are focusing on. I mean, you certainly get the feeling this is much further to, uh, to run this story. Um, but if we turn to events a little closer to, to home, um, in the last week, we've had the results of the European Parliament elections as largely anticipated. Um, we saw the populist anti-establishment parties continue to build support. But, um, but ultimately, the centre pro-European parties still hold a clear majority in the parliament. Um, do we see the election results having a material impact on, on financial markets? 
Um, the short, most direct answer is no. Really, the, the European election is often used as a bit of a protest vote and effectively it's a sideshow to some of the greater challenges. That is not to say that there aren't important considerations to draw out. Uh, I think particularly if you look at some of the rising tensions between Italy and Brussels. So Italy is in breach of its uh, fiscal deficit plan at the moment. It's had an, an official letter that it needs to respond to. And it is likely that we'll see some sort of uh, inflammation of that tension that's been bubbling under the surface for a little while now. Uh, also, on a related point, you know, we talk much more about the US and China trade tariff as being important to the investment strategy. As that relates to Europe, now the US has put on hold the potential escalation of the US-Europe tension. So we've had this threat of uh, national security activity on autos. Uh, the results came out from their Section 232 report saying, effectively, yes, it probably is a threat to national security. We've already had the US, though, say they're going to delay considering those those tariffs for another six months. So actually, the intensification on one side leads to a little bit of a cooling on those tensions. So, I mean, that that's a bit of a, a sideshow, but it shows how much more important those global trade policies are than European politics. The other area that it's relevant, though, is perhaps in terms of the UK and what that means for the UK domestic political situation. So in and of itself, not a huge amount directly relevant from the European elections, but it informs many different other, other areas of our thinking. And of course, here in the UK, we will have a, a new prime minister in a, in a matter of weeks. Um, after some initial volatility in sterling, markets seem to have taken this pretty much in, in its stride and other events that we've touched on have somewhat overtaken it. Um, so how do you view this, this latest development? Uh, does it change our view that the stock market, the UK stock market still offers good value? I, I think it does. And I think it's quite telling that we've managed to get through three or four segments or questions on this podcast before we even talk about the resignation of the Prime Minister. And it's always been a matter of when rather than if. So everyone has effectively had in the back of their mind how, how this is impacted. We produce a monthly pulse piece. Our Chief Investment Officer, Chris Godding, writes that. That is now up on the internet. And there in that document, we go into a lot more detail of the UK political backdrop. We talk in that how it is not necessarily in the interests of the major main parties to call an election, particularly on the back of the EU election. But it looks like Jeremy Corbyn might have to call a vote of no confidence regards who the Prime Minister is for, for political reasons. So we do go into much more detail on that uh, in that note and some of the, the mathematics, uh, election maths behind it. I don't think it has a major impact in the short term. Potentially out of the European elections, there is a risk you see a hardening of the hard and soft Brexit outlook. So it might impact who runs in the or who gets put in the, the final two in terms of the Conservative leadership uh, contest and who will ultimately be Prime Minister. I think if you look though at sterling, we've talked before the sterling dollar rate is very important to indicate current sentiment. And we've talked about the break-even rate of 130. Well, around the, the time of recording, which is very late May, uh, sterling is currently at $1.26. So very much at the bottom of that trading range that indicates um, a lot of uh, pessimism over the likelihood of a soft Brexit, a harder Brexit outcome. Some of that will have been exacerbated. A risk-off month also tends to hit sterling, so there are other factors. But that does indicate the market is now a lot more sceptical of, of a good deal um, being done. But as we said 
at the top. It doesn't change the fundamentals. If you look broadly, the UK still looks good value on a long-term investment horizon, and you should always be investing for the long term. Can you just remind us why, why that is, why, why we're positive on UK equities? Uh, the UK is largely unloved. If you look at the valuation, the dividend yield, sort of 4.5%, is very attractive, and that's one of the, the base fundamentals. And if you look globally, a lot of global investors are just ignoring the UK. Their view is, why should I invest in what is a small part of the global marketplace when there's all the unknowns around Brexit, around political changes? So you almost have a buyer's strike while while the, the global investment base looks for, for some sort of resolution. And I think it always makes sense to be positive on areas that others are avoiding, because when that money comes back, that can provide a fill-up. It is not without its risks, but I think on that basis, it looks relatively attractive. Another thing markets are watching quite closely at the moment is, is, is inflation and linked to that interest rate expectations. Um, first of all, here in the UK, earlier in the month, we had the Bank of England Governor Mark Carney effectively telling markets um, that they're being too complacent in their expectation of rate rises um, post, post-Brexit. This in contrast to the dovish tones of the ECB and the Fed and indeed the MPC, who again voted unanimously last month to hold rates at 75 basis points. Um, markets do not seem to be buying into Carney's warnings. Why, why do you think that is? And what's your position on, on interest rate expectations here in the UK? Um, I think Mark Carney is trying to, to look relatively far into the future, particularly given the fact that most of, uh, of the moving parts in this are political. And what Mark Carney is saying is that based on their, their core assumptions, interest rates are likely to rise. And it is always risky to be fighting your central bank and taking an opposing, an opposing view. And what you very often look for is for endorse central bank endorsement of interest rates. So if you look at the US, you look at the ECB, and we have talked before when the ECB have effectively said, yes, we endorse market pricing. This is a central bank head not endorsing it, saying, guys, you've, you've got it wrong. The reason the market's currently ignoring him is that that base case assumes an orderly Brexit. And Mark Carney has been very clear, as has the, the Bank of England, if we didn't have Brexit, interest rates would probably be around 1.5% now. Um, So they are currently being held pending the outcome of of Brexit. So I think it is important to remember that if you do have any form of of soft Brexit, and if you do have this orderly exit, it is likely that interest rates would be normalised. And remember, 1.5% is still below the expected rate of inflation. So that is still a negative yield, just not as negative as it is at the moment. So it is worth having in the back of your mind that fundamentally, interest rates do not look sensible at the moment uh, on a fundamentals basis. It's driven by politics. So I think that is what Mark Carney is, is trying to warm people up to, the fact that, that there is this potential tipping point related to politics. But again, if you look at, we just talked about sterling, the market is currently a little bit worried about the outcome of waiting for that certainty. Certainly, I can't see interest rates really going anywhere this side of any sort of resolution with the EU. The, the, I think the point to bear in mind, though, is when that comes through, the movement could be relatively quick. Interesting. I suppose much rests, again, as you say, on the outcome of the um, of, uh, of Brexit. Um, and then on the other side of the pond in the US, inflation seems stubbornly low, um, significantly below the Fed's 2% target. Um, do you think the Fed were wrong to raise rates in December? And uh, where now for rates over there? 
I think if you look at US inflation, there is the sense that it is the the low low ball inflation reading is transitory, and this is something that the Fed has talked about at length. The the preferred measure, the the PCE, the personal consumption uh, expenditure index is looking relatively low. But actually, there are many different ways to measure inflation. We here in the UK and across Europe, we talk about CPI. The US has a CPI measure as well, and that is currently uh, around about target. There are several other measures as well. There's something called the trimmed PCE index, and that is currently hovering around 2% as well. That's a core measure that strips out some of the transitory factors that uh, the, the, the Fed is talking about. We actually put out uh, a weekly review. We do a weekly review most weeks when there isn't a bank holiday. Uh, the one that we produced on the 13th of May actually looks in this in a bit more detail. And if listeners go and have a look at that, there's actually a chart that shows a few of the different measures. And many of these points that are holding inflation down are deemed to be transitory. It is elements such as clothing and autos that tends to be quite cyclical. If you look in the details, some of the more persistent factors, such as shelter and medical costs, are rising, and those tend to hold on for the longer term. So there's every reason to think that the weak inflation is transitory. As to whether or not the Fed was wrong to to raise rates in December, um, I think it it was, well, in hindsight, it's clearly wrong. But I think the Fed didn't really have much of a choice. In chess, there's this concept of uh, zug swang, which effectively is where you have to move, whereas you'd rather probably not do anything, and you are moved into a, a more disadvantageous position. I think that's really where the Fed found itself in December. All of the data were turning, but the Fed has spent so long talking about this gradual glide path upwards in rates. They kind of bound themselves into having to hike. And actually, I think at the the time, if you if you look at our output, our view is that the Fed had no choice but to hike at that meeting, and it would spend most of 2019 trying to use rhetoric. It would talk much more about data dependency. That's what we've seen. So yes, it was a mistake, but I think they'd spent so much effort talking about the gradual hiking path, they would lose, would have lost credibility if they hadn't have raised rates. Um, and I suppose as we draw this podcast to to a close... Um, it's important to to summarise, and that you know, despite these macro geopolitical headwinds, um, we at Tilney remain broadly positive on on markets and on equities. Um, just remind us and the listeners why why we continue to hold a positive view on markets. Yeah, I mean, investing is is a long term endeavour, and I think part of what we try and do at Tilney is to look through the short term noise. We take account of it. We adjust the portfolios if needed. But if it is just noise, we try and, and look through it. And on that basis, if you look at the markets, particularly equity markets, monetary policy is still supportive and corporate earnings growth is still strong. And earnings growth is the fundamental driver of long-term equity performance. The outlook there is positive. Fiscal situation is neutral. Valuations are neutral not cheap, but not necessarily expensive. So I think in that environment of good monetary policy and earnings growth, it is a good time to hold equities as those are the core drivers. That's great. Thank you, Ben, for your your comments as always. We'll be back again next month with a new episode. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at Thanks for listening. Thank you to all of those who've been listening and giving feedback to the podcast so far. If you haven't already done so, please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that the next episode comes straight to your feed. And if you have a few moments, please leave us a review on iTunes. Also, if you want to keep up to date of when new episodes are coming out, 
follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tilney Group.